welcome all of you. Uh, as many of you have heard, this is a Hunger and Homelessness Awareness Week. And so really our goal is to dive into it a bit deeper um, and, and, and look at the ways that we can both raise awareness and how to help. And one of the things we hear often from students and from people is, what can I do? How can I get involved? And so we felt like maybe diving a bit deeper into some of this and doing some skill building in a sense would be helpful. Um, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jason Watkins. I'm the Assistant Director for Basic Needs here on campus, um, in addition to a few other roles. So um, we're really excited you're here. We also have Ruth Miles, uh, therapist at the Counseling Center here, and Olivia Warren, uh, our campus advocate is here. So we're each gonna share a little bit with you today and talk about um, our individual sections. At the same time, our goal is that this is very uh, interactive. Uh, I think we all learn better uh, from each other. And so um, we hope that as, as we go through, there'll be question, a period for question and answers at the end, but that um, at the same time, um, we hope that you're able to participate. So you can do it through the chat feature or you can just unmute yourself and uh, add in where, where you will. I think we're one big family in here of whatever we have, 20 something people. So please, uh, by all means, uh, we want this to be very informal. Um, dive in. Can you skip slides? So when we get started, and we are really going to focus today uh, specifically on, on homelessness, but I think it's important for us to understand the issue um, holistically in terms of food insecurity and homelessness. So just some kind of definitions, if you will, to get us started. Food insecurity is the lack of uh, being, or the state of being without reliable access to a sufficient quantity of affordable, nutritious food, right? And so it's, it's a multi, there are multiple um, factors to that. You know, you might eat 15 packets of ramen in a day, and calorically, <laughs> you've gotten what you need, but I think most of us would agree that that isn't exactly uh, nutritious food. And so being food secure means that you have access by by reasonable means to things that are affordable, um, that you have a sufficient quantity of food and that it is nutritious. Homelessness, um, by definition, is the lack of fixed, regular and adequate nighttime residence. And um, we know that, you know, a lot of times when we think of homelessness, we think about it in a very narrow sense that it's, it's someone sleeping on the side of the road or under a bridge, but really um, it, can, it has a, a varied look to it. And for some of our students, that means sleeping in their cars, um, uh, bouncing around uh, on, you know, couch surfing with friends or, or, you know, bouncing around between different shelters and motels. And so uh, we're going to talk about this today, but I want us to have some sort of background of kind of some conceptualization of, of what these topics are. Next slide. So I also think it's important as we start to understand these things to realize it's way more common than many people think. And especially uh, for all of you students who are joining us today, I, I want you to know that if these are things that you struggle with, that you are not alone, that many of our students struggle with this. Um, and we're super lucky here in the CSU to be part of, um, uh, have a research community that is very much dedicated to studying basic needs. Uh, they found that for almost 42% of our students uh, were either food insecure or had been within the prior year. And another 11% of students were either homeless or at risk for homelessness in the prior year. And so on our campus, we've got about 11,000 students. That means at any, at any given time, we've got about 4,500 students who are experiencing some level of food insecurity and another uh, maybe 1,100 or so who are at risk for homelessness. And so 
I think it's important that we understand the totality uh, of this experience and, and that it is very common. Um, as we go through this today, like I said, it's gonna be more uh, focused on, on homelessness, but these issues very much overlap and many of the students who experience homelessness also experience food insecurity. And so we wanna have a conversation kind of around the whole, the whole picture. So before we get dive into some of it, <laughs> love Zoom. Uh, we've got a little activity we want we want you all to do. So uh, if you have a place to write, take notes um, on your phone, a piece of paper, whatever that is, I'm gonna we're gonna put up some scenarios here, and we just want you to uh, write down the first thing you think of that's going on. Okay. So again, we're not looking for right answers. I just want you to spit out what comes to mind. So if you could put the first one up. Okay, so you're at a store and you see a person smelling of stale liquor and they're buying aspirin at 6 a.m. Just want you to write down what you think is going on. Okay, next one. I'm so sorry. Okay. While you do that, I just wanna thank uh, Dr. Zelesny for being here. Uh, Claudia, thank you. Uh, Michael Lukens here, it looks like. Janice, thank you all for being here and supporting this. If there's anyone I missed, I apologize for we're working through Zoom. Okay, so, right, you're at the same store and a teenager runs out of the store carrying a heavy backpack, okay? What's going on in that situation? Again, just jot down either on your phone or on a piece of paper, sort of your first thought. Next one. So, uh, you're standing outside and you see two police officers visit your next door neighbor's house. What is going on? Next one. Your boss and the director of personnel are moving boxes out of your friend's office. Uh-oh. And lastly, you're walking down the street and you see a man laying on a park bench. Okay. So this is the point, and we're gonna pause for a second, and I wanna hear from all of you, uh, at least a couple of you here and there, uh, and what you came up with. So does anyone wanna share uh, their reaction to a person smelling of stale liquor and buying aspirin at 6 a.m.? What was your explanation for that? I don't know if I'm right, but... I took it as maybe the person's going through a rough past, which is why he's going drinking and he decided to buy painkillers. Okay. Okay. So he's been out drinking and then buying painkillers to alleviate the pain. Okay. What else? Anyone to get anything different than that? Um, I just said that he was hungover and he had a late night. Okay. Okay. Uh, did anyone say anything along the lines of he works at a bar, the person works at a bar and just got off the late shift? Uh, maybe they were buying aspirin for their partner who has the flu. Maybe even more creative, they spilled a bottle of rum when they were reaching for the breakfast cereal, bumped their head on the cupboard, and now they are attending to their, to their wound, right? Something to think about. What about a teenager running out of the convenience store with a heavy backpack? What were our explanations for that? Well, maybe he's struggling in, 
and food, like my money. So maybe he steals food to like eat. Okay, so he stole food to eat. Doctor Zlesny, did you have something? Late for work. Late for work. Claudia said trying to catch the bus. All right, we're catching on. Uh, late for class. Uh, so the the natural reaction is right, rob the store. Um, but it's good that we start to think about other possibilities. Um, some others that were listed. Uh, they're a track star and they run everywhere they go, which feels very Forrest Gump, but hey, we'll go with it. Um, or, you know, something happened in the store and he's fleeing something bad like a fire or something else happening in the store. What about two police officers visiting uh, your next door neighbor's house? Jason, I thought that, that maybe perhaps the police were there to help my, my next door neighbor. You know, maybe they got a, a phone call that scared him or an email. So they were there trying to help them. Okay. They're trying to help them. What else? Responding to some sort of emergency. Responding to an emergency. Okay. Did anyone put anything along the lines of the police are there because of, to question the neighbors? Okay. Neighbors possibly had a domestic dispute. Good. Maybe they were trying to turn the phone and accidentally called emergency. That's a good one. Right. Did anyone put anything along the lines of the police are at your neighbors asking questions about you? No. Again, uh, we, we tend to fall into these sort of narrow ideas of the way we think about this. Uh, your boss and the director of personnel are moving boxes out of your office. Either a promotion to a bigger office, okay, got promoted, or being fired, right? Um, and I think sometimes our tendency is to... to think the negative instead of looking at the other uh, possibilities. And then lastly, uh, we could probably do this all day uh, when we start looking at attribution. You're walking down the street and you see a man laying on a park bench. What were our explanations for that? Maybe he was hungover one night and he just fell asleep wherever he can walk out. Okay, so it's the same guy who was buying aspirin earlier. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. <laughs> Made it to the bench, okay. Morgan said he decided to take a break on the bench. What else? Overdose, okay. So, and our, our, the point in doing this is I think it's really important that when we start to explore ideas uh, around stigma, around um, our, our preconceived notions about homelessness and, and food insecurity that, that we really get in touch with how we make attributions about situations that we see. And so um, this activity in a sense highlights the idea of the fundamental attribution error. Go to the next slide. So this is, and I wanna be clear, this is something we all do more than we'd like to. Um, you know, if, if in each of these you went to the obvious thing, that's normal, we tend to do that. And really what it says is we overestimate the influence of personality, disposition, right? We, we overestimate who someone is as a person and we tend to underestimate the influence of the situation, specifically when it's about somebody else, right? Uh, and a simple way to think about it is, think if you've ever been in traffic and somebody cut you off, in your mind, you might go immediately to, they're they're not you know they're not courteous, they're a bad driver, they were only thinking of themselves. At the same time, when you've cut someone off, you're very aware of there were other situations, right? You got distracted, you were in a hurry, something like that. And so I think it's easy when we start to look at issues like homelessness um, and food insecurity, we tend to focus too much or put too much weight on uh, personality. And I, we don't oftentimes give enough weight into to the situation and to the external factors. 
in the last activity, what do you think was the basis for some of the assumptions that you made? Past experience. Uh, okay. Past experience, great. The other thing that I that I heard was um, the the people involved seemed like they were um, male. They I, I heard people referring to the person as as a he. So making the assumption that a lot of this is more of a male um, behavior. Right. Absolutely. Someone else uh, in the comment said. Uh, learning from parents, other relatives, uh, what you've heard other people say. Jason, I think the media really perpetuates stereotypes on a lot of different levels. And I think that gets into our head more than we think. Okay, so social, yeah, social media, that's a big one, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and as we move forward and as we talk about, uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about stigma. We're gonna talk about some myths that are associated uh, specifically with homelessness. But I, I hope that as you go forward, be mindful of your own sort of internal bias, uh, the, the assumptions that we make um, when we see situations where oftentimes we just don't have a lot of information. Unfortunately, as humans, we tend to uh, at times uh, fill in those gaps with information that isn't accurate. And so being a little more open um, and understanding situational factors is important. Can you go to the next slide, please? One of the most significant barriers or uh, things associated with both homelessness uh, and food insecurity is this idea of stigma. And again, we could, we could spend the next, uh, we could have a meeting every day and talk about stigma uh, because this is such a big topic. But I think it's important as we, as we understand homelessness to, to break that up and see it for what it is. By definition, stigma is a mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance, equality, or a person. Oftentimes, uh, those who are homeless or those who are, are receiving food assistance experience stigma both in a couple of levels, both internally and externally. Internally is, is, speaks to that idea of, as a result of this circumstance, right? What, how do I internalize that as a person? Externally, this is where the rest of society comes in. And how are we treating, how are we treating our fellow humans? Um, are we making these really negative assumptions about them and then, then jumping into this very uh, negative treatment of those individuals based on our assumption. And that's that external piece. And so it, it's very much a two-pronged issue um, as we understand stigma that it, it is bigger than just uh, what one person feels about themselves, but it's also the, it also includes um, the external treatment from others. And we know that stigma remains one of the biggest barriers to service utilization. Many students report um, needing assistance whether it be for food and housing, whether it be for mental health counseling, um, whether it be you know uh, meeting with Olivia in terms of some sort of um, domestic violence incident, there's a lot of stigma that goes with that and that becomes a barrier. And so the more that we can address that stigma head on, the more that we can adjust our assumptions, I think the better off we're gonna be in terms of addressing these issues. Can you go to the next slide? So some basic myths and I know, again, I wanna keep us moving. Some basic myths associated with homelessness. Maybe you've heard these, maybe you've thought them. I want to make sure that we have a clear understanding of kind of separating fact from fiction. So, Jason, do you want me just to bring them all up or no? It's fine. It's fine. So, the first one um, is that all homeless people are mentally ill. 
And what we find is actually is in the research, they find that at most about a third of people who are homeless are mentally ill. Um, and so really the vast majority of people aren't. Uh, they abuse drugs. Again, uh, research tells us that somewhere between 20 and 30% of people who are homeless uh, use drugs and alcohol uh, or abuse drugs and alcohol. Um, again, it, it doesn't mean that uh, it doesn't exist, but it's not a significant departure from the general population. They are dangerous and violent. This is a, there's a couple on here that are really, really get to me and this is one of them. In fact, the reality is that people who are homeless are much more likely to be the victim of violent crime than be the perpetrator. Um, and so again, we get into these negative assumptions, these fear-based assumptions, but in reality, that is not the case. Uh, they're all criminals. And you know, I, I think what gets lost in this is there is a, um, the perception that people who are homeless may have more interactions, uh, more interventions with law enforcement. Part of that reason is, is so much of the way they live their life, things that are necessary for um, you know, sustaining themselves become criminalized. For example, trespassing, littering, right? It's, it's not, they are not criminals ahead of it. It is the circumstances that sort of breed that, that kind of criminal inter uh, interaction with law enforcement. It was all about bad choices. This is my other one. This is the other one that just really gets to me. So apologize if I get very animated about it, but uh, I think that's, this is an easy one for people to try to dismiss the suffering of others by saying, oh, it was all about bad choices. But in reality, oftentimes it's things that so many of us can encounter, whether it be um, an unexpected illness, a job loss, some sort of, you know, an eviction, something that really came out of nowhere. And, and there are individuals who have a great support system around them and are very, you know, have a lot of privilege in that they may not have to worry about some of these things happening. For other people that, you know, who don't have that, these kinds of situations can very much um, cause them to be homeless very quick. And so it's not necessarily about bad choices, but it's about circumstances that really any of us can experience. Spending all their money on drugs and alcohol. Again, researchers find that most people who are homeless, the, their money goes to things like food and clothing. Uh, uh, this is a good one. They need to get a job. In reality, uh, many of them have jobs. Uh, and then there's another, another section of them who, are on some sort of um, social security assistance. And then the other, the other component of that is there's many people who are homeless and trying to get jobs, but being homeless, not having a regular address, um, you know, not having access to showers and clean clothes can again, prevent another barrier to, to getting a job. And then the last two, uh, they, they don't care. They don't care about cleanliness. Uh, again, this is very much a luxury. Uh, people who are homeless often report that that is the most humiliating part of the experience is not having the ability to shower and care for themselves. And then, and then the idea that they're not part of our community. We hear this a lot. We hear this driven through the media that people are being brought in, that the people here who are homeless are not from our community. In fact, as many as 80% uh, are from the community or have lived in the community for at least a year prior to becoming displaced. So I hope as we go through this, and, and again, you maybe you've had these own perceptions or heard this somewhere that really, I encourage you to dive into what the research tells us and to have a little bit uh, more open mind uh, and understand homelessness as, as much bigger than these individual factors. Um, that there's a lot of situations that can, that can contribute to homelessness. And so we're gonna move forward. Uh, Olivia is gonna talk a little bit about vulnerable populations and then Ruth's gonna talk about uh, empathy building, which I think is so important right now. Um, but again, as we challenge our assumptions, be open to new information. 
Hi everyone, uh, my name is Olivia Warren. Um, Jason introduced me before, I'm the campus advocate. Um, so I'm gonna talk a little bit about vulnerable populations. Um, these are often populations that are more vulnerable to um, food insecurity and um, to homelessness. So these are groups and communities at a higher risk as a result of the barriers they experience due to social, economic, political, and environmental resources. Um, so some of the examples I'm gonna go over are children, um, foster youth, college students, veterans, minorities, um, and domestic abuse victims. All of these are very different, but they are all also like intersectional and they intertwine a lot um, within one another and why they are more vulnerable um, to these issues. We'll go to the next slide. Okay, so why can they be vulnerable? Um, I talked a little bit about um, children. Um, so children that sometimes come from single parent households, maybe there's not as high of an income to have those nutritious meals. Maybe they um, have to be at daycare, they have to be by themselves due to their, um, their parent having to work all the time and work those hours. Um, that is due, why they're more vulnerable is because of um, their economic um, population. And then low socioeconomic status um, also goes into that. Not being able to buy those nutritional meals um, is very important. So like Jason kind of talked about too, that you know eating just like ramen noodles or something like that isn't the same nutritional value as someone that's able to eat um, fruits and vegetables and really like nourish their mind and their body to be physically and mentally healthy. And then um, mental and physical health. If someone is unable to work due to a mental or physical um, health issue, um, can be a reason maybe they can't have a job, maybe they get very low um, income, so they can't afford to live somewhere. Um, and then fleeing from a dangerous situation. So I mentioned domestic violence victims. So sometimes there are families, a partner that have to flee um, really fast and right away and are unable to take a lot of stuff with them. Maybe they can only leave with the clothes on their back. They're not able to take their money, their goods, um, and they're homeless then. Um, they have no way to buy food. Um, sometimes it can be bigger families um, with kids, small children. They still have to figure out how to get their um, kids to school um, and with their education and if they have anything else going on to still uh, keep like a normal life. Um, and that kind of goes into an unstable home. And that also talks about foster youth as well. Um, having that unstable home environment, maybe moving from home to home or after when they um, turn 18 and they're going off to college, um, they never have a steady home to go back to. Maybe they don't have a steady income um, to help pay for school, pay for all their food. Um, and it kind of goes into unstable employment and other expenses that sometimes people have to choose um, one thing over the other. Maybe they're, they have somewhere to live, but they're unable to afford food. So they have to choose, do I pay for my rent or do I pay to eat dinner tonight? Or do I pay for my kids to eat versus me to eat? 
Um, do I pay for my car note or do I pay um, for dinner or do I pay for my rent? Um, so a lot of times people don't realize these choices um, that people have to make and why um, they are vulnerable, why they're more vulnerable for hunger and homelessness. It's more than like what Jason said, those myths aren't true that just because if they're mentally ill, that they're always violent, that there's something like that. Most of the time, that's not the case. Um, sometimes people can just go into a bat, a hard situation. Um, and that's what Ruth will kind of talk more about is that empathy building and how to be empathetic um, for them and to realize who might be vulnerable um, to these situations. We can go to the next slide. Okay, so what else can it affect? So what else can um, hunger and homelessness affect? It can affect pregnancy complications. So um, if there's a mother that is pregnant, um, they can still be homeless and it can complicate the pregnancy. Maybe they don't, they don't have an address, so how are they gonna go to the doctor? Maybe they don't have insurance, they're not able to um, feed themselves and to have um, healthy meals. Um, it does increase intimate partner violence because it's highly stressful um, situations. Um, so it increases the intimate partner violence between partners and families. Um, and then it can also affect someone's behavior. So maybe they're, we talked about foster youth and children. Um, so maybe it can affect their behavior in school if they don't have somewhere to go home um, after they leave school or the only meals they're getting is when they're at school. Um, they're not able to eat um, an extra meal, have those snacks that a lot of maybe their classmates may have. Um, so it can um, influence their behavior. Um, even in college students, it's always important to realize that to think more about maybe why um, my student didn't get their test um, in time or why they didn't get their paper in time, that maybe they're being affected by homelessness and hunger that, you know, if you're hungry, it's hard to focus and sit down and do a paper. If you're thinking about like, I'm so hungry, I would literally eat anything. Or maybe they have nowhere to stay and they're trying to do their homework on a laptop, maybe in their car or outside or something and try to find, you know, the Wi-Fi or something like that, that there's a lot more um, things that can affect people's behavior than just like not wanting to listen or not wanting to act a certain way. And that also goes into schoolwork and then the mental and physical health aspect. Um, I talked about that before, but it can affect someone's mental and physical health if they um, don't have somewhere to stay at night and um, they don't have food to nourish their bodies. Um, and then all of it, like I said, it's very intersectional and affects um, one another that maybe affects their, their mental and physical health, then it'll affect their behavior, then it'll affect someone's maybe schoolwork or their um, relationships with other people. Um, and then it can really affect someone's whole life. So I think why um, I'm talking about these vulnerable populations and how can it affect um, certain people is so we can start talking about the empathy building and being able to understand where um, people are coming from um, just because you don't know or you've never experienced it. Um, doesn't mean you can't be 
understanding and nice about it. Um, and then we can go to the next slide. So um, this is a question I wanna ask you all. So how can we help these populations? We talked a little bit about what are specific vulnerable populations. We talked about what it can affect. Um, so how can we specifically help these populations ranging from children, minorities, foster youth, um, college students, um, domestic violence victims? What can we do to help? Are there programs? You all have ideas um, on how can we reach out to specific populations? Yeah, Ruth said volunteer work for um, existing like organizations. There are a lot of organizations um, in Kern County that like specifically will reach out to certain populations to make sure um, they have food, they have a place to, sit, to sleep, to help with their rent. Does anyone else have an idea on how do you, how can you specifically reach out to certain populations. Exactly, scholarships for comprehensive support. Um, that's really important and especially um, looking out and being like, okay, this scholarship might be specifically for foster youth because we know that they're vulnerable to homelessness and hunger and that they don't, they might not have a home to go back to during the holidays and during winter. So being able to help them with that. Yes, inform people about the 211. Um, definitely information, just having you hear something be like, oh, you can call 211. And all they do is they ask you what you're needing um, and you're needing food, if you're needing somewhere to stay and they refer you there right away. Does anyone else have any ideas before we move forward? Yeah, go and spend time with people and listen to them. Listen to people's stories, what they're willing to share with you um, and really kind of understand um, where someone is coming from. Yeah, donating food items, um, clothing, um, reaching out to neighbors, peers or coworkers and talk more openly about these topics in a non-judgmental way to reduce stigma. That's super important is a non-judgmental way. Um, not that blaming on them. I talk about that a lot. And victim blaming can even go into um, this area about being like, well, did you, you know, drink too much? Like, have you done this? Like, have you committed a crime when someone says like, if they're homeless or they're, hung um, they're hungry, to not like judge them and blame them for that happening. Just listening to them and really wanting to help them um, and what they're needing help with and what they're wanting help with. Does anyone else have any other ideas? No, okay, thank you all for listening. Um, Ruth will talk next a little bit about empathy building. Okay, hi, I'm Ruth and I am one of the counselors at um, our counseling center. 
And um, so as Olivia mentioned that I'm going to talk a little bit more about empathy, what it is, what are some barriers to it, and then how can we as individuals improve our, our empathetic capacity. Um, so just as a definition, it's the ability to feel what other people are feeling or that saying of stepping into another person's shoes. Um, and so you, sometimes people will wonder like, what's the difference between sympathy and empathy and Sympathy is more of a feeling bad for someone. Um, you might feel, you know, sadness that someone's going through a difficult situation or things like that. So you, you sympathize. Empathy takes it a step further where we're really connecting with the emotions of what someone might be going through. Um, sometimes we're able to do that easily because maybe we've gone through something very, very similar. And so just someone... Um, sharing something like we, we connect with it. It resonates with us because of our own experiences, but sometimes that empathy, it, it takes a lot more work because maybe it's not something we've been through. Um, and so being able to take the time to slow down and try to connect with what other people might be feeling. Um, so this is a question to you guys before I get into some different reasons why it might be important. So when you guys think of different areas of your life, what could be reasons you feel empathy is important? It helps you, it helps to connect with others just from a connection standpoint. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Uh, it helps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Michelle was saying the same thing that it helps to connect right there. Mm -hmm. to be able to see from someone's point of view mm -hmm. to be able to understand people mm -hmm. yeah any other reasons why that might be beneficial like why might understanding people and being able to see those different perspectives why might that be a good thing or an important thing uh, create different circles of social systems and yeah, and social support, support systems. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, leads to caring, broadens your own perspective. Absolutely. Definitely. Cause it helps us grow as people too. The more we can understand things outside of ourselves and outside of our bubble. Definitely. Um, so I have a few things that I wrote down, but I think the list could go on. These are just some, some broad things. So one of them being that it, it promotes pro-social behavior. So things that, that contribute towards helping other people, um, benefiting other people. And, that, and, and again, that's more of the umbrella. There's lots of ways that is, is a good thing that it's it's good for our society it's good for our community it's good for our campus it's like you mentioned jason it's good for our relationships um and so being able to you know we're social beings and um we survive and thrive by helping and supporting one another and so that's it's hugely important that we don't just stay within our realm same thing with it creates a better atmosphere a stronger sense of community and again i think that's in all areas you know i think when you have an empathetic boss you have a better work environment when you have empathetic um co-workers you have a better work environment when you have um 
empathy in, in your home, I think that that support looks different, you know? And so I think in each area we think of that can help make that atmosphere better when we try to understand each other's perspective and um, to have that compassion and then better relationships all the way around friendships, family relationships, uh, work relationships. Um, so another question for you guys, what are some barriers to empathy? So what are some things you feel like either for yourself or maybe it's not you, maybe it's other people that you feel like gets in people's way of empathizing? Ignorance. So yeah, Mia said ignorance. So like just the not knowing. Mm -hmm. Yes. The selfishness. Markel mentioned selfishness. Mm -hmm. uh, hurt and hurriedness. Absolutely. Absolutely. So people having their own hurt, their own injuries, their own things. And then also the busyness, like we have extremely um, busy lives now. And I think that that definitely, when you think historically, I think that that has stopped us from a lot of things that used to happen, like getting to know our neighbors or, you know, developing those different relationships. Um, yeah. Selfishness, plain inability to be empathetic. Mm -hmm. So those are all good examples. So one is time or perception of time restraint. So sometimes it, it might genuinely be time, but also it, it's perception of time restraints. It's, it's what we prioritize and what we make time for. Um, I, I was trying to think of, there, there was a mentor I had a long time ago and um, whenever I would make different excuses for things I didn't have time for and whatnot, um, she would, she, there was a saying she said, and I can't remember exactly how it was, but the idea was that at the end of the day, you'll make time for the things that are really important to you. Um, and of course, especially being a therapist and wanting people to take care of themselves, I don't think people should stretch themselves too thin and try to make time for everything. I don't, I, I think that can go too extreme and in a not healthy way as well. But I do think that um, there's some truth to that, that, you know, we, we waste time or kill time in a lot of other ways that probably have a lot less meaning than maybe taking a little more time with some people and slowing down life just a little bit to take time to, to understand people's perspective more and things like that. Um, stress, which I'm going to pop up the next two stress and self-absorption. Cause I think those can kind of go hand in hand that, you know, the more we we're overwhelmed with our own stuff, our own, our own thoughts, our own stress level, our own workload, our own um, things, you know, we're, we're in our mind thinking about all our own stuff and that it, for many of us, it can take a conscious effort to step outside of that, to step outside of everything going on with us and to give thoughts to what's going on with other people. And absolutely, Morgan. So like Morgan said, some people have so much going on that they can't add anything else to their plate. Absolutely. And so that's what I mean by like, sometimes I'm actually as a therapist working with people on the opposite, like they're giving so much that they're just so depleted and that's not healthy either. Um, and so with some people, I'm actually working on the opposite of like, hey, let's set healthy boundaries and make sure you're taking care of yourself and make sure that, you know, your well is filled up too. And so by no means is this to say um, everyone should be just dumping more on their plate. Um, but sometimes this could be even little ways, like 
if we ask someone how they're doing, that maybe we actually stop and mean it in a genuine way and not just a social nicety where we actually maybe could hear how they're doing and notice that maybe they're actually not doing that good. And a simple conversation could make a world of difference. So sometimes it can be little ways. It doesn't have to be huge ways that, that occupy all your time. And it can start in some of your immediate world, like just being, being more aware and outside of yourself when it comes to some of the people you're immediately involved in. Um, So the not paying attention, and that has to do with a lot of times we can tell a lot from nonverbal cues, from really paying attention to people's tone and people's expressions and their eyes and different things that can indicate to us that, that they're feeling something. But again, we can get so busy and so caught up in our own stuff that maybe we're not taking the time to kind of slow down and pay attention. Um, Differences, gender, ethnicity, age, that can change our perceptions and in a few different ways. Sometimes it just makes it hard to relate, right? Like if we're, if we're too different in too many ways, it's just harder to understand maybe. And it takes a little more effort to because we were wired differently, we think differently, our experiences have been different. Um, but also kind of, I think it goes into the next bullet. Yeah, this can also connect to stereotyping and assumptions and different things about groups of people and, and um, stigmas and that kind of stuff. So generalizations and negative preconceived notions uh, objectifying, depersonalizing, dehumanizing. I always think of like the psychology studies that they do where they find that people are more willing to do something negative towards someone if somehow that person's been depersonalized. Um, like there was a, a study where they had someone um, like giving shocks to somebody uh, if they got certain answers wrong. But the person they were doing it to was in another room where they couldn't see them. They didn't know them. Um, and there was something about that disconnect that sometimes caused people to be willing to do stuff that maybe under other circumstances they wouldn't have. And I think the same thing happens where we can get very desensitized, where we pass people, like when you think about homelessness, like we pass people probably pretty frequently um, that are in very disheartening circumstances and, uh, and just kind of like put blinders onto it or, or we depersonalize like those people, you know, versus how we feel about someone in our personal life that we have an emotional connection to. Um, and so really starting to see those people as, you know, fathers and mothers and sons and daughters and people's children and things like that. Like you guys, I know that, the other speakers have mentioned about really understanding the different circumstances and not just making those assumptions. And uh, my husband works for the Bakersfield Homeless Center, and um, there's a lot of a lot of uh, sad stories of how people end up in those situations where you know there's house fires that happened or somebody's spouse left them, and then now they're here with multiple children and no income or not a large enough income to support them and the children, or they lost their job, they got laid off work, then they couldn't pay their bills, then they lost their place, they got evicted. And, you know, where a lot of circumstantial kind of going back to what Jason said, about the um, fundamental attribution error, that it wasn't just someone being lazy, or not caring, or um, in addiction, you know, that there's a lot of circumstantial things.
Um, so another question for you guys is, and you can answer e either or, um, hang on, I've got my windows in front, so I can't see my screen. Um, so do you think people can do anything to increase empathy for others? Like, do you think that's something that we can actually increase? Um, and, or have you done anything that you felt helped you be more empathetic? So any ideas of like how, if someone could and how, or have you personally done anything that kind of helped you? I think kind of what has been said so far with everyone today, there's been really good comments about getting outside of yourself, doing for others, um, really engaging with people on a human level instead of, as you said, just seeing people as a group, those people getting to know them personally. That's, that's someone's son or that's a mom. Um, so I think anytime you can do that, that's, mm -hmm. that helps build that in you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then there's a couple on here. Marlene said, really taking the time to listen. Um, and Mia said, I think learning about empathy and being taught the small and large ways to show that empathy has helped. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause we're not necessarily going to get into that today, but even I think that idea is important to me is not only a, learning about empathy, but then like, how do you, how do you convey empathy, which is a whole, like, that's an additional topic to getting into those skills of, of, not only feeling more empathetic, but learning how to convey that. Um, empathy is ingrained in my makeup. I believe that life experiences, hardships, foster empathy. Sure, sure. I definitely think that um, that going through challenges can make us more empathetic. Now, I will say, like, I'm glad, like Morgan was saying, like, the you know, going through hardships for her, that that's something that fosters empathy. And unfortunately, though, I've seen some people where... Um, it's done the opposite. Like you get some people where they're kind of hardened by some of it, where it's like, well, I went through all that and I figured it out. Why can't these people figure it out? You know? And so letting that foster empathy, like Morgan said, you know, letting that, that build empathy instead of building, you know, contempt for other people who are struggling. Um, yeah, I don't know if it was recorded, but Chris Ballard's talk about his, oh yeah. Voluntary home homeless experience was very insightful. Olivia said, reading and listening to podcasts and others about their stories. Absolutely. Because I feel, and uh, and Olivia probably as an advocate experiences this a lot. I feel very lucky that, you know, my day in and day out job is to listen and learn about other people's experiences. So it's built into what I do every day all the time, but not everybody gets that. And so sometimes having to seek out those experiences of, of learning about other people's stories and lives. And so even if you have a job that's unrelated to the helping field, there's definitely still ways, like Olivia was saying, to, to really foster that in your life, to learn about other people's stories and how things have affected them and how that felt for them. And so, yeah. Um, so six habits of highly empathetic people. So one is, um, oh, I need to hustle this, huh? One is um, nat the having a natural curiosity about people. And I was reading an article and I thought it was, it was interesting um, to think about it this way, especially because I have children. And so I see it firsthand of, they were talking about like when we're kids and how we have this natural interest and curiosity in people and that we're very fascinated and everything is 
you know, a million questions about other people. And we, and sometimes we lose that along the way. We get more self-absorbed. We get busier. We don't stay as curious about other people. And it was saying that really fostering that natural curiosity about others. And, uh, and that's why I say, I was thinking about like with my daughters where it'll be like, well, who is she? Does, do, you know, does she work with you? And what does she do? Is she nice? What is she like? You know, and the kids just have that natural, I want to know, no, no. Like, I want to know all about this person. And, um, and it's too bad that we, we do lose that along the way. And so being able to be intentional about that, um, challenging your own misconceived notions about people. So again, being open to learning other, other things and, and realizing that maybe previous assumptions were wrong. Um, and we've talked about this already, placing ourselves in other people's shoes, thinking about what an experience might be like for them. Um, people who are empathetic tend to be good listeners uh, and are also really, um, uh, they're, they're good at listening and they're also not afraid to open up themselves. So not only do they listen and care and put energy into others, but they also learn how to be vulnerable themselves. Um, and, uh, they know how to move people to action. So again, it's not just kind of, a. I decided not to get into it for the sake of time, but I was reading also about different kinds of empathy, like how there's intellectual, more cognitive empathy and different things like that. But they got more into like compassionate empathy that has to do with when we're empathetic in a way that moves us to action, that makes us go, okay, I feel this, but now what do I do with it? And people who are highly empathetic know how to kind of take that and put it into energy of like, how do we now help? Um, and then also they, they, provide empathy to everyone. They don't believe some people deserve empathy and some people do not. So regardless of people's situation or if they're deemed as, as being particularly good people or not, or if they are suffering or not, like they, um, they provide that same empathy to everyone. And I think when I think about that, I was thinking one time I heard someone use an analogy where they said, um, regardless of whether someone else shoots you in the foot, or you shot yourself in the foot, either way, it really hurts. And I thought that's so true that sometimes we deem like this person doesn't, isn't deserving of it because they created their own mess, you know, like, well, they did this and that's why they're in this mess. Well, it's still painful. And so we could still have some empathy for people's pain, even if sometimes, um, you know, we decided that maybe it's, they that they've created some of it or that they aren't suffering the way someone else is suffering um so let's see i think i have one more um so again kind of going over what we've already said ways to increase it challenging yourself um and this can be a couple ways both challenging your your concepts about people and your assumptions and things like that, but actually also challenging yourself outside of your comfort zone, because there's something about that that's humbling when you, and it could even be trying new things, like trying um, new skills, trying new, whatever it is, like something about trying things that are not our strength can be humbling, which can make us more empathetic. Um, get out of our usual environment, like who we talk to, who we socialize with, who we eat with, you know, what we do, go visit places and, and really, again, getting outside of our bubble, 
asking for feedback from people you trust and love to give you honest feedback about yourself, um, exploring heart and not just the head. And that kind of goes back to what Olivia said is also being intentional about that, like reading books, listening to podcasts, things that really connect you with other people's emotions, um, walking in other people's shoes, examining your bias, cultivating your curiosity. Um, so I know a lot of this kind of already said and, and ask better questions or more questions, like, and be more thoughtful about what, what you ask, like being more curious about people and, and being more thoughtful in, in that, in the things that we might ask. Um, let me see. I know there was a couple comments. Uh, I think one had to do with whether or not this was being recorded. I don't know. He was Jason, about if, uh, the Chris Ballard talk and then Veronica put a link up here. So we have a link to his talk from a couple of years ago. But Mel, oh no, I'm sorry. It was a private one. Somebody had asked, they said that they're covering this for the runner for the newspaper on campus. And they wondered if this, this event will be recorded and posted at all. You know, I apologize. And that's on me. We did not record. Um, I think all some of the technical difficulties at the front end, all on that. I just, uh, I forgot to hit the record button. So I apologize for that. I know we, we are getting close on time. We want to save a few minutes for questions. Before we do that, though, um, two, two things. Uh, first, Dr. Zelezny, you and the cabinet, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here, for some, always being such a champion for student basic needs. Um, so we just we appreciate you here and, and being a part of this. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say, if students, if you are here, if you could uh, send Ruby a private message and let us know you're a student, we're going to get uh, work on getting you some uh, a gift card for Uber Eats. Dr. Zelezny, did you want to say anything? I want to say how much I appreciate such an outstanding uh, forum. And I've learned so much from each of you. And um, I, you know, I really think that this kind of a forum and discussion um, amongst us really does bring us together as a community and as a family here at CSUB and, and for caring for one another. I, I really, really thank you. And I learned a lot from each of you. So thanks so much for your leadership. Were there any questions? Kind of open it up to the group. I know we want to be respectful of time, um, but also make sure that we have a chance to address any questions. So either we were so good that we just answered every question you could have, uh, or, or people are thinking about the next meeting. I don't know. Morgan said it's because we're all so good. I'll go with that. Morgan, Morgan <laughs> you know what you're talking about. Well, I, I guess I'll end with this. Um, so much today we talked about what to do, and I, and I really do wholeheartedly believe it. it. It starts with things like these. It starts with taking your lunch hour and deciding, I'm going to come and spend this, and I'm going to learn about something new. I'm going to learn about vulnerable, vulnerable populations. I'm going to work on building empathy within myself. And so I commend all of you for being here, and I – again you're part of the solution here and so um uh, i hope you can give yourself a pat on the back and so i just want to thank you all uh and we've got community conversation tomorrow at 11. uh the food pantry's got a game night tonight at five o'clock and you can find all the links on instagram so uh, i encourage you to connect with us through the rest of the week as we as we honor hunger and homelessness week so thank you everyone